Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. My name is Trey Kaufman. The Mosaic Life Podcast is a podcast on happiness, and my goal is to discover why so many of us chase it, yet so few of us ever really find it. If you get value out of today's episode or you've gotten value out of the podcast in the past, I would be incredibly grateful if you would take just a couple moments of time to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That goes a long way in helping others just like yourselves discover the great conversations we have here. I know I've said it before, but I'm reminded every time I'm given the chance to speak with someone locally. Columbus, Ohio has so much incredible talent and so many amazing resources for those looking to excel. I'm so fortunate to have the wonderful opportunity to speak with leaders from all over the world that I often take for granted just how lucky I am to live right here in central Ohio. I feel so grateful to have had the chance to talk with my guest today. I've been an advocate for his company for a number of years. I've been friends with his employees for an equal amount of time, and I owe a big shout out to both Liz and Allison. And I've had the absolute honor of seeing the incredible impact he's had on the lives of entrepreneurs in Columbus. In the heart of Columbus, Ohio's entrepreneurial ecosystem, and not far from the stadium of his beloved Buckeyes, is the office of Randy Gerber. Randy is a successful business owner, a devoted family man, an OSU alumnus, and arguably their biggest fan, and a leader in figuring out how to simultaneously have a successful business and a robust personal life. Born and raised in Buffalo, New York, Randy knew he was called to do something different. He moved away from his family and the wings at Barbell Bill Tavern, his favorite food to this day, to attend The Ohio State University, where he graduated from the Fisher College of Business. Bypassing the safety net of a corporate career, he founded his own business in 1991. Gerber LLC is a professional services business focused solely on improving the business and overall happiness of first-generation entrepreneurs. His holistic approach integrates his clients' personal ideas and aspirations with their business, life, and financial goals. His business has 16 employees and has served over 200 clients. I do my absolute best to have conversations that I know I would have wanted to hear as I was developing my career and focus. And I hope anyone listening to this who has entrepreneurial aspirations will get an equal amount of value from it. Please welcome to the podcast, my guest, Randy Gerber. Randy, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm very well. Um, Good. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I want to kick off our conversation. I, I love the opportunity to talk with people here locally in Columbus. And you said something in your bio, which I, I think is impressive given the uh, community we live in. You said you're Ohio State's, I think, biggest fan or use one of those uh, combinations of words there. And I, I'm just I'm curious how excited you are to get back to a little bit of normalcy this football season. I'm super excited. I, I have a, a unique twist on it. Maybe not unique, but I guess special emphasis that not only am I excited about getting back to see Ohio State play in the stadium, I also I have two two sons who are playing uh, high school football. And, uh, oh, wow. So they, we've had a couple of scrimmages, and Friday night's our first game, so I'm, I'm excited about that as well. That's awesome. Uh, what uh, what uh, Where are they in high school? What years? So I've got a senior, and he's starting left guard for Upper Arlington. And I've got a sophomore who on the JV team, he'll play uh, linebacker and tailback. uh, And he does play a little bit uh, on the varsity uh, as well uh, at linebacker when when, when able. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Do they have any, any interest in moving beyond high school once they get to college? Or do you think their football careers are going to stay with them in high school? What, uh, what are their aspirations? I suspect that my oldest will be the, his last game of the year this year will be his last game ever. 
Yeah. Uh, hard to tell my youngest. He he loves any sport that he's playing uh, at, at the moment. And so, you know, there's a long time to go there, but it wouldn't surprise me if he uh, uh, wouldn't surprise me if he uh, pursued athletics. Uh, athletics in college to some degree. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Now, I am curious from a parental standpoint, obviously a lot of science has come out in the last 10 or 15 years about, you know, brain injury and, and, and children who start playing football young. I mean, is that a concern that you've had seeing them grow up playing the sports or is that something that you've kind of seen blown out of proportion in the media? Obviously it's a you know, serious issue, but I'm just curious what your viewpoint on that is. Yeah, you know, a, a couple of things. So I play football and, you know, it's your quote unquote bell got rung. And right. you know, I, don't, I don't think that I had a concussion playing. Um, I, I will tell you, I don't think it's at all blown out of proportion in the media. Um, I had a pretty bad concussion in 2012 that, in my opinion, was my first one I ever had. And yeah. it really did. It, 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 I mean, it was it was a different experience. And I've got friends uh, who are, you know, in their 50s who are not the same people they used to be because of football concussions. Um, but, I, I, you know, it's very real that the game's a different game today, the way these kids yeah. tackle. Uh, I mean, they don't use their heads anymore. And, you know, the, the, the targeting calls and the um, leading with your helmet calls are, are so, you know, you know it's so punitive if that happens that I, I feel like it's a safer sport. It's, I would never su- suggest it's a quote unquote safe sport, but it's right. certainly safer than it used to be. And, and at the moment I'm comfortable, certainly my senior who plays left guard, it would be very unusual for him to have any head injury. Yeah. My, my, my sophomore positions he plays, that's a little bit more of a concern. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would. Yeah, I, 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 I never played a contact sport. I, I played golf in high school, and then I also played a little bit of baseball. So I, I never, you know, got to experience getting tackled or, or tackling. So I, I can't necessarily relate. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I was happy to see some of those targeting rules be put into place over the last uh, several years. I mean, I obviously, you know, we want the health and wellness of uh, of our players to be first priority there. Yeah. And, and candidly, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't change the sport. It doesn't make it worse. You know, right. it's, it's a different rule, no different than, you know, lining up in the neutral zone. <laughs> it's yeah. just, just a rule. Right. And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, so y- you mean you are such an Ohio state fan because you, you graduated from Ohio state, correct? Yes. And what was your experience like there? I know uh, we're obviously going to talk a lot about uh, Gerber Emerging and, and your company and your entrepreneurial journey. But I mean, what was it like going through college, just knowing that uh, or having an idea of the path that you wanted to kind of take following college? I mean, you were in the Fisher uh, College of Business. So, I mean, I, th- I think business was kind of in your blood from the start, right? Well, actually, no, it was a, I had a wildly different path uh, that's um, probably not unusual, but um, but was different in that, you know, yeah. I went to high school in Buffalo, New York, and the community I lived in had an unusually high concentration of engineers. And, and I had done well on SATs on the math component and had done well in school and math and physics and science. And so it seemed rational. And, and all my friends, or not all, but many of my friends' dads were engineers. And uh, my stepdad was an engineer. And um, so I, I assumed I wanted to be an engineer. And so yeah. actually I, I, when I applied to Ohio state, I applied directly to the college of engineering and actually got a scholarship, an academic scholarship. So my first two years, I, you know, was down that path. And then my sophomore year, I realized that looking around one of my dynamics classes that it just, the, the, the people weren't the same people <laughs> they weren't as social <laughs> as I needed or wanted. Yeah. And, um, and so, I, you know, I'm 53 years old. For those of you listening, uh, uh, you'll appreciate this. So I walked out of the class and dialed my 31-digit MCI code, long-distance code, to call my mom <laughs> and to say, hey, I'm done with uh, engineering. Yeah. And she said something to the effect of, you know, I've been expecting this phone call, phone call <laughs> for quite some time, and that's great, and I support you, but you got to figure out how to pay for school. Yeah. And so, so you know, I, I had no clue, no idea what I wanted to do, and... Um, I, most of my friends at that point in time were in the college of business. So I made that transition. I think I did that my junior year. I didn't do it immediately. Cause I, I, uh, 
you know, my scholarship to the College of Engineering. So I took it as long as I could go. Yeah. And um, so when I got to College of Business, I, I again had no clue. And it was, I feel like kind of a late entry, um, but I, I knew that I wanted to be with people and around people. And, um, and so, you know, I, I stumbled into the, the job because of an internship, but, you know, Ohio state is such a great place because you meet so many people of different walks and different colors and different experiences and different educations. And, you know, and, and, and literally like, you know, when I left my high school, I had never met a Jewish person in my life and I had yeah. met one black person, you know, and it just, uh, maybe that's the wrong term, but got right, to know a right. black person and, and, you know, it just go to Ohio state, it's a different animal. So it's, it's a pretty quick, and I vividly remember sitting in class, you know, when I walked in, I thought I was a pretty special guy and this one huge class and looking around like, Oh my gosh, I am completely average compared to these people. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it was a real wake up call. And, it, you know, yeah. I, I remember just um, really thinking about that. Like, I have a long way to go to be special. Yeah. Um, and Ohio State is that unique place that and my daughter is a junior there right now. Um, that unique place that you can you can figure out and, and work your way through where you want to end up. And there's it's all good. It's easy to not easy to do, but it's doable. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I think Ohio State is a very unique place. And I, I think anybody outside of our, our city here, there's obviously a perception when it when it comes to Ohio State, it's all football all the time. And, you know, I know Ohio State fans, and I, I've been guilty of this myself, tend to get a bad rap when it comes to competition and rivalries, especially with, with Michigan. But I mean, the, the, the school is so diverse and so dynamic. <laughs> Not everybody you meet on campus is going to be, you know, rah, rah, football, football all of the time. There's just so much to experience there. And it's such a gorgeous campus as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I like what you said about the social component, because I, I mean, for as a little bit of background, I, I've been familiar with your company for for a number of years. I've I've been connected with Liz and Allison, both wonderful humans. And one of the most amazing elements of my relationships with them is just it's always been very social. I, I've been to events put on by your company. I've been invited and welcomed to uh, different uh, networking and, and social events that are, are run by Gerber, and it's just it's. You can tell just being a part of these conversations and being around your employees. I mean, that is instilled within the, the company culture. And I, it's, it obviously seems to me like that's something that you wanted to put into that from the outset. I mean, is that, is, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, Liz and Allison, the whole team do a fantastic job. And, and you know, my, I've always been accused, um, and always is probably a big word, but it's also probably accurate at having very high expectations. And, um, you know, when we do events that we invite people to, I expect them to be excellent and me meaningful and, uh, uh, worthwhile for people who attend. And, you know, the, the lucky thing for me is that Liz and Allison naturally feel the same way as, as do others on the team, yeah. not just the two of them doing it. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they love doing it and we love meeting new people and helping people as much as we can. And it's so apparent when you talk to them and it just, it feels really good. What was, I mean, that being such a necessary part of business, obviously the last year and a half has been extremely difficult for so many people on so many levels. I mean, making that adjustment. So the, the social element wasn't necessarily face to face, but you still kept that uh, as a part of your work with clients. How, how did you adapt to that? You know, I mean, I'll, I'll answer that question in two different ways. The first yeah. way is with respect to clients. Um, the, you know, the, the good news is we did have that social depth with the vast majority of our clients. And so, so you know, we, we it was interesting. Uh, we had um, some businesses, you know, got shut down during the pandemic and people had nothing to do. Right. <clears throat> some businesses were just flat out confused what to do. And we weren't, we were neither of those. Like I knew that we had to, uh, we had to help our clients. We literally, you know, every week starting the last week of March, we, we called every one of our clients every week to make the check-in on them and help yeah. them and help them make decisions. And it was, you know, it was interesting that we went into, you know, immediate just help mode and it was super easy to do in part because our clients are familiar with us. They know us, they trust us. 
And it wasn't me. I mean, I made, I made all my calls too, but the team made the call. And, and the right. good news is that our clients maybe, you know, had, had, were able to meet team members over the time and uh, know them. So it wasn't odd that they were getting a call from, you know, so-and-so. And so, um, you know, it was re- really helpful, was very helpful for us to be very effective during those first six to eight weeks when it was just super uncertain, lots of, lots of crisis, lots of uh, concern, lots of fear. Um, you know, so that's one answer. The second answer, which I, I found really interesting was that, you know, and this specifically applied to Liz and Allison is that they, uh, felt the need and rightfully so to go out and, and share our, what we know and our wisdom with the public. Yeah. So they were able to, you know, via zoom calls and I guess they were all zoom calls in the beginning, uh, reach a a broader audience. Cause you know, obviously one of the constraints that you have is people have to physically come to our space and see it or wherever we were. And with zoom that changed everything. So we did, I mean, I don't, remember how many but a whole bunch of um outreach and and really did talk to lots of i mean more people than we ever could have in a in a traditional setting of having people come to our office so and again i think they did a great job and we learned as we went and um i produced more presentations last year i I didn't my team did more presentations last year than i have probably the previous 29 combined Um, so it, uh, I mean, it was natural for us to reach out to people, um, natural specifically for Liz and Allison. And we just did it a different way, like everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have clients who saw what was happening, saw the writing on the wall and they decided to pivot in how they ran their businesses? And I mean, did they consult with you to, or did you, did they bring you on to help with that pivoting to, to target a new niche? Uh, yeah, we definitely had a, there's a few people that jump off the, uh, page or you think, I think of immediately that, you know, one in particular that made a huge pivot, uh, and she took her business from 35 million to $55 million last year and, uh, of sales. And, you know, we talked through that dynamic and actually we've had subsequent conversations on how to make it a permanent switch, not just a temporary one. And, uh, we've had other clients develop strategic projects, products as a result. I think so from a niche perspective, yes, we definitely had a few people do that. Um, I think the bigger impact was more process where we spent a lot of time clients that were able to redo process and create new products and uh, re- redefine their client relationship and how they serve clients. And a lot of those have turned out to be permanent and very, very, I mean, we had, our clients in hospitality last year obviously got hit right. unfairly. So but the vast majority of our clients actually had really great years. Yeah. That's great to hear. And I, I, in these conversations that I've, I've had over the last year, it's uh, so many of the positive ones come from people who have had a growth mindset over the last year and a half. And, you know, I, I think maintain that as we are in this, question mark stage of, of, of where our future stands. And I have to imagine, obviously yourself, you have a, a very much a growth forward mindset to just talking with you for the past 15 minutes that becomes apparent. But do you help? I, I know generally, and correct me if I'm wrong, you generally work with first generation entrepreneurs. And so people who may not have that, um, that mental stamina, for lack of a better way of putting it, who can see opportunity through setback. I mean, do you coach people through those mindsets as well? Well, I'm, you know, so one of the reasons why we work with first generation entrepreneurs and it's, you know, I want to use the word exclusively, but it's virtually exclusively. We have a right. handful of exceptions. Um, one of the reasons why we work, and this is one of the, you know, my original aha moments back in 2000, uh, when I, when I, when the idea popped in my mind to, to make the transition. But one of the reasons we work with first generation entrepreneurs is they, they really view problems as opportunities. Yes. They they look for the, the silver lining. They figure out how to, to, to pivot or what to do. And, and they have a, unusual degree of determination in my opinion, you know, to, yes. to, to and so, um, we, we didn't have anybody go out of business last year, you know, and, awesome. and, and, um, and again, as I said, most businesses are substantially better off, uh, and, 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 and not just in, um, financially, but also people wise. I mean, it's been a very difficult year on the labor front because you, you know, the, the, 
number one, you governors, you know, uh, forced you to make certain decisions that right. nobody enjoys. Right. But then it really, you know, it gave employees time to reflect on where they want in life, you know. And <clears throat> so, you know, last year the change was induced by others. This year is being self-induced and and employees. That's why, you know, in, in May had the biggest departure of the workforce in the history of, of yeah. the statistics in June was even bigger. And I think July will be bigger yet still. And so it's, it's you know, from the standpoint of, of determination and grit, entrepreneurs um, still had to figure this out because the labor force is so volatile right now. Yeah. And, you know, you've got some people who, you know, are, are inspired to work harder. You have some people who don't want to work at all. And, and the ones that I think are the worst are the ones that want to work just less, but get paid more. <laughs> and and they're out there. I mean, it's it's really yeah. remarkable. Um, and it's it's. I mean, honestly, it's it's a conversation trade that I, I have virtually every business day with somebody. And it's it's you know, you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're you're you know going through this, you're, I, I assure you, you're not alone. It doesn't make it a whole lot better, but you're definitely not alone. Yeah, I I, I can't even imagine the 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 volume of. of- these conversations you have. And I, I, I can't, I can't even tell you how much I respect you for being able to coach people through that. Um, you know, myself, I, I, I had, I, I can't even count the number of jobs I had between college and becoming an entre- entrepreneur myself. And it always got to a point where I just, I wasn't happy. I wasn't feeling fulfilled in my work. And I, I really shouldn't place blame on anybody but myself, but I just knew that at some point I wanted to work for myself. And so when I finally did, I, I decided that, and this honestly was help, helped me through a, co- a conversation with Liz helped me through this. And I realized that I wanted to be a solopreneur. And I think part of the reason for that was because I didn't want to have responsibility for other people's happiness. And I, I, that may be a, a, a weird way of looking at it. And I know you have a, a very healthy culture within your company from what I can see. And so you who have employees and you who work with entrepreneurs who have employees, I mean, what advice would you have for somebody who's fearful of having employees because they don't want to have that responsibility placed upon them? Well, I mean, uh, you're hitting the nail on the head that number one, it, it is a responsibility. Um, the, and it's a big responsibility. And, you know, I, I believe that we have, and I believe what we do is pretty unique and extremely helpful to, uh, many people. I mean, it's a generalization. If we can help our entrepreneurs be better entrepreneurs, then in theory, they should be better employers for the employees that work for them and therefore everybody had better lives. So I, and I really believe that I really look at our, what we do is helping, you know, tens of thousands of people. And so, so when you're, when I'm helping an entrepreneur, you know, work through this, I mean, number one, they have to realize it's, it's 99.9% of the time it's not personal. Right. And you know, like, like I, I finally got to the point where if somebody doesn't want to be here, you know, I don't want them here. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but rather, right. I only want people here who want to be here because they're the ones that are going to contribute. I need people to contribute and have their hearts in it. And, yeah. you know, and so, so it's like the first, you know, step is I, uh, and this whole process is, is, is acceptance. Like, Hey, look there, if somebody doesn't want to be there, don't force them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard because it's depending on your business you're in. If, you know, we, we have plenty of clients who own uh, manufacturing companies where, you know, shutting down an extruder line or, uh, assembly line at some point super expensive and hard. So you physically need a person operating machine or doing something. It's, it's a slightly different situation, but, um, you know, at the same time, you know, those risks and you have to, you have to, you know, be equipped for that. But the, you know, for many, many, many years, we, um, we had really good conversations with, I mean, let me say this. We, for many years, we've been doing this. We've had good conversation with our labor force to understand, hey, look, if, if you don't want to be here, that's fine. Just just give us advance notice. You know, just yeah. let's work through it together. Um, we had an unfortunate situation where two people got sucked up. You know, they for the first time in our company history, they didn't. You know, they gave us very short notice. You know, two weeks. Yeah. And I think that's a bit of a byproduct of the environment we're living in, where employees just are thinking about some employees, I should say, are, are not being thoughtful around what it does to businesses, but. Um, you know, I think we'll get back to, to having that conversation, but it's a part of our culture to have the conversation. If you're not happy here, that's okay. Let's work together to figure out where you should end up. Yes. And, and so 
back to your question around how to get people, I think, I mean, the short answer is you, it's not short, actually. The answer to the question is you have to have a clear set of values in your company. Yeah. And you have to live and breathe them. And you have to hire to those values and fire to those values. And here's the thing. If you're through your interview process, if you find an employee who shares your values, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty exciting. So like you're, you're missing out, I would say <laughs> that, that, you know, there, cause there's people out there who share your values for sure. You just have to find them. And when you do, it's magic, you know, yeah. um, we have a new employee started here August 1st and he absolutely unequivocally shares our values at a really root level. And it's so refreshing to talk to him uh, every day. He's because he's excited. I'm excited. The team's excited and he's a super positive influence. Um, and, you know, it's awesome. So we're and in the past. We've had people who we didn't do a good job. We, I guess before we were awakened to how important values were. We didn't, you know, didn't do a good job hiring to that. And, and you know, they, those employees cause stress. So, right. you know, not that they're bad people. They're not bad people at all. This, we weren't a great fit for them. And so, um, the, you know, I don't think we've ever hired a bad person. They're always right. good people. Just it's, it's making sure we have shared values. And, and that's where, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about dipping your toe in the water, before you do that, really, really at a root level, identify your company values and hopefully your company values match up with your personal values. And, oh. and then for me, you know, that's one of the, the way I live my life personally and our company values are, it's, they're, they're aligned and simple and it's easy for me. It's not, it's not complicated. That's why I think Liz and Allison in part love working here is because they bounce back and forth. Um, you know, they're, they're, they share the same personal values. Absolutely. And I really, you've got four company values that I want to get to because I re they really resonate with me as well. But I, first, I want to ask, when it comes to hiring and, and or firing uh, based on values, how, what is the best way you've found to ensure a potential hire fits those values? Because I don't know, to, I, I've taken, you know, I don't even know how many personality tests and I, I, I don't think I believe that I truly ever match the values of, you know, at least word for word of the companies I worked for. So I'm just curious, that has to be a, a very difficult task to say, hey, you, you, you match our values perfectly. We're going to bring you on right now. Well, I mean, you just what you kind of said was match our values perfectly. So so we have developed a um, a process that is possibly excruciating for our interviewees yeah. um, that that really go through and test the values. And Jocelyn Spurka, who's uh, she's our integrator for using the EOS language, you know, she's really the one, the mastermind behind this. And it's taken a bunch of time, but uh, I think we have five interviews and we go through and, you know, the first interview, we talk about our values and second through fifth, really, we we have developed questions and scenarios to get people to explain how in the past they've, you know, in scenarios, how, how they've made decisions that support the values that we have or actually have conflicted. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, you know, in, in hindsight, being brutally honest, that those employees that those hires that we've had, that we were brutally honest with ourselves and their answers have been phenomenal fits for us. Yeah. Th th those people that, that we, we kind of said, well, they're really great on these three, but this one's okay. Uh, haven't worked out. <laughs> and so I think, you know, if I look at it in hindsight and really am honest with myself that it's, it, you, you, you use the word perfect. And I, and I think that's probably the right word that people, you know, for long-term win-win success, you have to have people who, who really they fit they fit your values they identify your values holistically in every way not not most of the way and and the you know and so the combination of interviewing and asking questions creating scenarios then uh, also references I mean that's you know we've learned a lot over the years with references and yeah. so um, and I will say in hindsight you know we've taken chances on people and I think we're batting exactly zero point zero zero on that. <laughs> Yeah, I that's I mean that that really speaks wonders to 
doing due diligence. And yep. I mean, when it, when it comes to a gut feeling and if they, they match those three out of four and it's, it's just, it doesn't feel right. Then, you know, listening to your gut, it just seems like, or your intuition seems like the, the best call in that sense. Um, I, I would love for you to share your four company values, because like I said, they all resonate. And uh, I mean, they, they seem like very well thought out and, and grounded values that any potential employer would want to see in their employees. So if you don't mind sharing those, I would love to talk about them. I mean, so our first value is be present, be positive. And that was the super easy one when we were talking about this as a team. And, you know, when, when we're talking to a client or each other, we want people to be present. And, um, you know, so it's interesting in hindsight, you know, uh, one of the folks that we hired two years ago is no longer here. uh, She was always on her cell phone and, and, and Eric, said, Hey, she's, she's physically here all the time. And she'll add, but she's not present, you know, and yeah. it didn't really dawn on me, but you know, over our culture, uh, we, most of our people here are, are not on their cell phones, you know, and, and until they take a personal break, you know, right. they're, they're, they're present, you know, and then be positive is super simple. I mean, when you, when you have a choice to, when you have to solve a problem, you can, you have a choice how to solve it. Do you solve it with a, uh, a negative bent, like what was me and I'm a victim, or do you, you know, figure out how to do it on a positive basis? And yes. it's a choice you get to make. And so um, we talk about that, uh, if not every day, almost every day, and not not from the standpoint talk about theoretically, but rather, you know, something that presents itself like, okay, what's the positive way to handle this, you know, and, yeah. and really go through and talk about it. Um, the next value is uh, bold pursuit of excellence. Um, and this is one that I like to, when I have humor induced, I, you know, when somebody doesn't pursue excellence, I'll say that was a bold pursuit of mediocrity <laughs> and, you know, they get it really quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, I like bold pursuit of excellence. You know, a lot of people say do the right thing. Uh, we have a vendor that we're using, we're spending uh, significant, you know, we're spending six figures on. And one of their values is do the right thing. And I, I, at the end of this engagement, I'm going to ask them, do you, do you, would you hire people who wouldn't do the right thing? Right. Because, you know, to me, that, that's kind of table stakes, right? But, yeah. you know, do the right thing versus bold pursuit of excellence are, are, are really two different uh, thoughts. And so, I, you know, I, want, I don't want my employees coming here doing the right thing, but doing it in a mediocre fashion. I want them right. to do excellent, you know, all the time. And so... Um, you know, that's a, that's a tough, it's a really important value. It's also one that I know we have room for improvement to, to reduce the intensity uh, in our environment around doing the right, or, or I'm sorry, bold, bold pursuit of excellence. Because if you're constantly pursuing excellence, that can get too intense and that's not healthy. So we're trying to, to you know, that's one of the things that COVID did teach me uh, is, is how can we, you know, stay with our values, but reduce the intensity. And we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, the third value is, uh, live and breathe entrepreneurship. And it's, it's an important one because, you know, our, you know, one of we can, one of our uniques that we provide for our clients is that we provide the, the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Being an entrepreneur is a very, very, very lonely place. And, in you know, it's hard to talk to your friends or parents, but most, most likely they're not entrepreneurs. And so, but we, you know, we provide that ecosystem. And, and so, there was some confusion in the beginning. Like I'm not asking my employees to be entrepreneurs uh, or even necessarily entrepreneurial. Right. I just need you to support the ecosystem. I need you to, to, to help our entrepreneurs be better entrepreneurs. And so, um, you know, that's, and when that, and, and, and part of that is then learning how to communicate with entrepreneurs, being patient with some of the idiosyncrasies, which are pretty common. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, I feel like our team's, it's always done a good job with that and we'll continue to uh, our last one is healthy sense of urgency. And boy, we argued about this for a long time because I think I wanted something along the lines of sense of urgency. And my team was going like, no way. Cause for you, <laughs> sense of urgency is going to be right now all the time. Right. And, and finally the, the, uh, the word um, healthy somehow presented himself 24 hours later. And, uh, and that we all felt, super about that, you know, like, okay, yeah. this, this is going to make sense. So, you know, that's something we talk about a lot here is, you know, what is, what is healthy? Um, and, and, you know, and, and that gives you a chance when we're, when we're super busy, you know, what, what, what's healthy and what do we need to do right now? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I love all of those and they, I, they resonate so well with me. What I, I really like the third one. And I'd like to dig into that just a little bit more because I feel like we, uh, I say we as Columbus, Columbus, Ian's, that's not a word, but uh, you know, us living here in central Ohio, we have such an opportunity in the entrepreneurial space because it's so well-founded here. There are so many opportunities for entrepreneurs to, to thrive and grow. And I, I can't imagine, obviously you being an Ohio state alum, you know, it's, it's no mistake that, that you've built your company in such an incredible ecosystem here. I know we very rarely make the top 10 lists on, you know, uh, on biggest cities or, you know, we, we very rarely, you know, match cities or match stats with uh, uh, Silicon Valley or Los Angeles. But the 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 spirit here, it's just it seems so unique and so so positive. I, how much of a role has that helped in developing that, that third value and in, in helping your not necessarily your employees be entrepreneurs, but help their clients, you know, live and thrive and grow within this community? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I noticed out of the gate, I felt Columbus was, um, I mean, if you would have talked to Randy Gerber in 1991, I would have said that, you know, Columbus is a transient city. And as a result of that, uh, you can get access to anybody. Right. And, you know, today I don't feel it's a transient city. I think actually it's, it's much more of a, uh, an anchor city now where people want to move here and yeah. they want to, they want to be part of this. They want to raise their kids here. want to start their business here. And, and I still feel though, it's, it, it's, you can still get access to anybody, you know, for the most part, I think that, you know, it's, if it, you're not that many connections away from people to, to get to where you need to go. And so I, I'm, you know, and particularly the last five years that, so really, you know, probably starting 10 years ago with these companies that were ideas. Um, I remember, you know, when I moved into my space on Nationwide Boulevard, which we're not there anymore, but you know, the, our na- our next door neighbor was this little company called Cover My Meds. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, and 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 I didn't. I could have walked across the hall to Matt Scantlin and met him and talked to him. You know, and yeah. so like that's the kind of stuff that I think. Um, uh, I still I still think in general this the environment is such that people are open and willing to help and 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 genuine <laughs> genuinely nice people. So, and I you know I I. I know I had a I have a client who um, 20 years ago felt that Columbus really didn't couldn't provide the fundraising ecosystem he needed that he felt at the time uh, in Columbus that if you weren't you could raise money if you were doing real estate or a restaurant a restaurant franchise but you couldn't do it for anything else he moved out to Silicon Valley <clears throat> started some companies and really couldn't get traction. Yeah. Um, uh, out there at all and end up moving to Atlanta where he got some traction. But um, I, I think that Columbus has really changed in the last 10 years that, and I obviously look around at the companies that are, that are going public and uh, that are getting significant financing. I mean, what, you know, two of our clients, one's uh, lower.com and one's loop and they disclosed, you know, the largest valuations in the state of Ohio, you know? Yeah. And so uh, that didn't happen 10 years ago. Right. Yeah, and for a little bit of additional context for people who know nothing about Columbus, Cover My Meds, they had a, a, a huge building, uh, I guess, south of downtown, and now they're building a, a brand new campus just off 670, correct? Yes. Yeah, it's a. I, I've, I, I was in the original building. It's beautiful, and it, it, I really love what they're doing, and I love the culture within it. So I... I guess this is, a, is it, I guess this is a loaded question in regard to Columbus and its growth that we've seen over the last twenty years. Do you think there's a secret sauce for us? I mean, you mentioned Midwest, and there is that Midwest mentality where we are friendly and we do want to help see each other grow. But I mean, what what do you think it is about the city that allows entrepreneurs to to succeed? I mean, we've obviously been a test bed for for restaurants. Uh, Elbrins has been has been uh, um, headquartered here. I mean, what, what what do you think it is about our little big town, as many people call it? You know, I think there's there's two, maybe three, pretty unique dynamics. One of which is you have Ohio State here that. You know, I, I vividly remember 20 years ago that in Mayor Coleman at the time, uh, they put in a plan to stop the brain drain. The people who graduated from Ohio State and leaving Columbus going to Chicago or, yeah. uh, you know, the coasts. And, you know, it was really a, a very coordinated 
push to retain these super smart people to stay in Columbus. So I have, but, but you know, the fact of the matter is it's it, it, when you talk about secret sauce, you know, we're the biggest or second largest university, depending on what year you're talking about in the country. And so, so there's this unique, um, uh, you know, concentration of smart people, smart youth that are, that generally speaking are optimistic about the future and looking forward to changing the world, you know, who are right here, you know, living under, uh, where we are. And then, and then secondly, I do believe that the whole, um, Columbus partnership that was put together by Les Wexner and Alex Fisher and John Wolf. I, I really do think that the partnership, which then of course Columbus 2020 spawned from that, but I, I do think that that type of uh, coordination and that type of integration made a huge difference in the, in the economic ecosystem here in central Ohio and really encouraged business and, and collaboration and, uh, helping each other out. So I think that was way ahead of its time. And, and, and more importantly, well, I know other cities have tried that. I think we were much more effective than other cities. So around that topic, I think we had terrific leadership, um, which leads me to my third point. I do believe that uh, Les Wexner and the Limited and Bob Walter and Cardinal Health, and even for that matter, uh, McConnell's were in the industries. I think having those companies that were started here and grown here, uh, you know, I mean, Les was born and raised in Bexley and Bob was born and raised in Dublin, I think, Dublin, I'm pretty sure. And McConnell's weren't, John McConnell was not from Ohio, but, um, you know, the fact they chose to stay here and build these big, huge companies, uh, you know, and of course you create companies around that, you know, right. um, it is that those three things create a secret sauce. And, um, and and so, uh, but, but at the end of the day, it it really comes down to leadership, which I think we've had pretty good leadership along the way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I I really love about our community is how diverse it is. And I, you know, I, last year, I I don't know if you saw me on the list or not, but I was, I attended a webinar, uh, where you were, were part of a panel talking about, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's obviously been a big piece of our conversation over the last year and a half. And I mean, what, what, what has been like for Gerber having these communicate, or these, these conversations and with internally and externally with, with your clients and helping really create an atmosphere that helps, um, everybody grow as entrepreneurs and business people, you know, whether you're white, black, uh, male, female, I mean, what, what efforts and resources are you allocating to help all individuals grow? Well, I mean, what efforts are we allocating? I mean, for me at this point, the best we can do is, is help promote the thinking and, 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 uh, be part of the conversation. And, you know, I, I, I do believe that there's opportunity there. Um, I think it's it's a super complicated topic, yes. uh, and, and it's one that um, requires much more maturation. I think yeah. uh, still, I, I I understand certainly the root issue where it comes from. Um, the it, it, and there's a lot of folks. I mean, I guess that step one is for people to not be afraid of the conversation because I right. think there's there's. Right. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are still very afraid of the conversation because there's, I, I do believe there's some judgment out there, unfair judgment, um, that if you don't say the right thing, quote unquote, then you're, it's, it causes problems. So, you know, t- to move this forward, we, we, we need to get in an environment where you can have a super honest conversation that is safe um, and uh, lacks judgment or minimize it at least to, yeah. to, to, to move the needle forward. And so... Because at the end of the day, I do believe, you know, fundamentally a diverse workforce is, uh, a, you know, a, a diverse, smart, hardworking workforce is better. Yeah. Um, it's just that simple. I don't want yeah. a diverse, lazy workforce. I don't want a diverse, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, a, a, a singular workforce that, that's lazy too. I mean, I want all, all of the above. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, w- with that and that mentality, I mean, you just you get differing opinions, healthy, healthy conversations, even healthy arguments, they help breed innovation. So, I mean, if you have a homogenous workforce where everybody thinks the same, then you're not going to be able to do anything different and grow. I mean, that, that has to be such a major part of what you're doing. 
That's right. Yeah. Well, um, I, again, I, I appreciate you hopping on here. And before we start to wrap up, because I, I know we're coming up on uh, close to 50 minutes here, I, I, happiness has been such a, a profound part of my personal journey. And, you know, it's, it's why I like to have these conversations on this podcast. You know, to me, it's become so holistic and so much of what goes into our own personal happiness isn't isn't just do, about doing the things we enjoy, but it's about your health and wellness and and so many different aspects of of the inputs that you you bring into your own life. And so, when it comes to happiness within the workplace, I know every company is going to be different, but I do know that you know you help instill uh, overall happiness, and you, you talk about that with your entrepreneurs who are doing this for the first time, or again, first time or first generation entrepreneurs, how, how much does that play into the conversations and the training and the, and everything you do with your clients uh, who are developing their businesses? So if I understand the question properly, um, you know, with our clients, it, it, you know, we our starting point with all of our clients. And I do mean that literally all, yeah. is, is, you know, why, you know, what are your life goals? What at, at a root level in life, what are you trying to accomplish? What makes you happy? And what's your, what's your ideal environment that you, you know, your, your, your ideal life that you live, your ideal relationship with the business, you know, what do you want financially? And, and those are really three different topics. And we spend right. a lot of time really getting to very, very root levels. And so through, through it's it's really interesting to watch it happen that um, so many people come in here and they have predisposed ideas of what should be and, yeah. and they really generally speaking not all but many haven't allowed themselves the freedom to really be honest with what they want in an ideal setting and and you know we have seen many of our clients who've been with us you know a while. Um, and you know, it's, I'll say generally speaking, it's over a ten-year window of time. Sometimes it's six or seven, but generally over ten, where they they can they can live the life that they really truly want in every aspect. You know, yeah. sometimes you have bad luck, where there's health issues or uh, just you know unusual circumstances that are acts of God. But absent those, um, it, it's remarkable how you really can craft the life you want to live. And and so you know, we spend. I mean, everything we do is rooted in achieving that, you know? And so when you talk about training, that word kind of threw me, it's not, it's not training per se, but rather every piece of advice, every decision we make it, you right. know, even though it may not be overtly conscious, but it's all tied to living this life. Yeah. And, and I've seen it enough times now firsthand. Uh, and I feel like I'm experiencing it too, uh, more and more every day myself, that that it's it's a real thing it's doable so it's just it's it's a big process when it's all said and done yeah absolutely and, and training was a, a poor choice of words on, on my part I, uh, coaching may be a better but still not a, a great fit and when you say craft the life you want to live i mean that is that is so on point right there and i i i think just from having this conversation with you i mean you can lead by example in that sense that you really, what you want to do, what you want to achieve, what you want to accomplish in this world is something that you can set out to do if you have the will, determination, the the plan in place to, to, to get there. And it sounds like the company that you've built really, really helps entrepreneurs find that. And that's that's so encouraging. Yeah, no, it's actually really fun, frankly. I mean, you know, when you <laughs> see people uh, get there, I mean, you see them, you know, they're, they're happier, their spouses are happier, kids are happier, and employees are better. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's, just, it's really empowering and very fun. Yeah. What, um, when you have new clients come in, they have this preconceived notion of what they think they want, and they have an, a, a light bulb moment at some point in time and realize that's, that's, that's not what I, want, what I want at all. I mean, what are... What is most common that you see? I mean, is it to to build massive wealth and get rich as fast as possible, or what? 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 No, it's it's. See, that's one of the reasons why we work with first generation entrepreneurs. I mean, there certainly is an economic recognition, but that right, it rarely is ever that. I mean, like that. That's one of our screens. That if we have a person come in and they have a number in mind, that's probably not going to be a good fit, right? Um, for us, and and so. It's they come in with some sense of a problem they have. I mean, I, I tell prospects this 
regularly like, look, you're going to hire us for whatever reason you think is important. And it really doesn't matter to me what that reason is, because what I've learned through our experience, we're going to uncover all sorts of issues. And so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that whatever the reason is you're here, the catalyst is, is, is bringing you to us. But I I assure you, you know, in, in, in six months to a year, what you actually hired us for will be different than you think. Yeah. And and this is the truth. So, but it's never about money. I mean, I can think of one person um, over the last 30 years who it really was about money. At least he thought it was in his life. And he's still a client this very day. He's come clean that that was probably naive thinking on his part. And it really isn't about money at all. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's good. I, I personally feel, and it, it sounds like you're in agreement that, uh, you know, money isn't the end all be all. And there's so much more to being an entrepreneur than that. Yeah. Um, so what is a good fit for, for, for you, for, uh, Gerber emerging for a, a potential client for you? So, you know, we have two companies, uh, one is Gerber emerging and that is, um, that was a afterthought, um, of our bigger company Gerber the Gerber Emerging is, you know, companies that are, I'll say, $300,000 of sales to, you know, a million, maybe $2 million of sales. And it's a one-year program that we have nine classes that you're with, uh, you know, eight to 15 other entrepreneurs. And they have we have pre-specified content. It's really, hey, do this first, do this second, do this third. Um, and so there's, it's a combination of facilitation with us. And also some peer-to-peer sharing, like yeah, it's this. I'm having this pain too. Yeah. Um, and so, so you know, our goal is not the end of the program, but rather, you know, as time goes on, to get people to a, a three million dollar gross profit company. So not net profit, but gross profit company. And the reason why that's significant is um, that three million dollars of gross profit, you can really build out a leadership team and have a sustainable company. So. Right. So that's the objective. Um, and we've had about, I don't know the exact number, but over 100 companies go through this now. Um, and then Gerber is a company that, you know, what I would, what I've been doing for 30 years, not in this current form, but, right. um, you know, we, we really help first generation entrepreneurs grow their business with purpose. So our average size company there is about $50 million of sales and and that number is very different today than it was five years ago. I don't, I don't remember what the number, but I'm going to guess it was closer to 20 million then. Right. Um, and it's really, you know, helping people figure out, you know, based on how you want to live your life, you know, how, how should I grow this company? What's the right amount of growth, right amount of risk? You know, how do we pay our people? How do we manage liquidity? How do we, you know, how do we expand? And so we've, you know, had developed a process to help people do that and had, you know, pretty awesome success with it. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love hearing all that. And I, I, again, I can't thank you for everything that you're doing within the community, uh, both Columbus and the entrepreneurial community within within Central Ohio, but also for taking the time to chat with me today. Sure. Um, I, I, I've really appreciated all of your insights. And uh, before we wrap up, I do have a few closing questions. And this first one may tie into uh, you know what we were just talking about, but I always like to be as much of a resource for you who have taken an hour of your time with me today, but um, I, I want this to be beneficial. And so I always like to ask, if you're looking for additional resources for you to grow either personally or for your company to grow, what would those resources be? Say somebody out in Idaho or even in central Ohio is listening and uh, they could help you in some way. What are you looking for to continue your growth? You know, I think about this question kind of regularly, but I have this belief and I don't know if it's my ego or just, it's really what I believe. Um, But you know, if, if you know a first generation entrepreneur and they're, they need, I mean, we should be talking to that person. <laughs> we yeah. really have a unique view of the world and a unique ability to help people. And I, I, like I said earlier that I believe we can help the entrepreneur. We can help the employees and the world's a better place. Yes. And, and so, um, you know, meeting other first generation entrepreneurs is, is, is certainly, um, and, you know, and, and for that matter, I'll, I'll extend the question a little bit that, you know, our clients are always looking for phenomenal CFOs and phenomenal controllers. So from that perspective, we can, you know, there's people floating around that are looking for a new opportunity. We'd love to meet them so we can help them find a new home. One of our clients, ideally. 
That's fantastic. And then my next question, this is more of a, a personal ask for me because I like to use it as a cheat code so I know what to read next. If you had a book that you could credit with just having a profound impact in your life, what would that book be and why? I'll give you two books. Yes, uh, please. The, the, in no particular order, but one is The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And, and it's a very short book. It might even be an essay. It might be, you know, I think it's only 44 pages or something like that. But I've given it to all my kids. I read it once a year. But effectively, the, the, the gist of the book is, it was written, I think, in 1956. Um, we become what we think about. Yeah. So, so really be thoughtful what you're thinking about, what you're spending your time thinking about. And, you know, I understood it intellectually in my 20s. Uh, and I, I can't stress enough on a day-to-day basis that I am dialed in to be thoughtful when I'm thinking about because what I think about will ultimately form my character. So, I mean, obviously I've made mistakes, um, probably made more mistakes than most. Uh, and, and, you know, I really work hard to make sure that you know, every day going forward, what am I thinking about? So I, I live the life I want to live deliberately. Yes. The, the other book, um, which I think, even though it's a business book, I think it's still very transferable personally is great by choice. Uh, by Jim Collins. And I think there's some super fundamental, really basic takeaway, not basic, but really um, key takeaways on how to grow your business better and with, with, with less risk. I mean, that book is fantastic. That's that's awesome to hear. I, I had not heard of either one of those before, so I will check those out. And I, I really appreciate you sharing those. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I like to close the podcast by asking if you have a personal call to action that you either like to live your life by, or you like to implore others, your friends, your family, your clients to live their lives by, what would that call to action be? Yeah. Um, it's probably not very popular because it seems very <laughs> superficial, but I, I, you know, laugh and have fun. I love um, it. People take themselves way too seriously in this world and it causes yeah. all kinds of problems. Um, you, you know, laugh and have fun. And yes. uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people who are politically different than me. Uh, and not that I'm a, a zealot in any way, but I'm right. certainly curious. Uh, and it's how the, the art of the political conversation has gone away because people right. can't laugh and have fun, you know. And yeah. it's really a shame because that's how we grow as a country and grow as a society. And you know, to talk about different ideas and, and different perspectives and you learn and grow. Uh, but I think on a day-to-day basis... If you can figure out how to laugh and have fun, the world's going to be a better place. I I could not agree more. That is sage advice. Randy, thank you again for for having this conversation with me. If people would like to connect with you, if they would like to learn more about Gerber, the work you're doing, what is the best way to find you online? So um, two websites. One is uh, Gerber Clarity, C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com, and the other is Gerber Emerging. Um, dot com and and those are two places to look and uh, we're active with both uh, so it's a starting point and if you want to talk to somebody I know there's links that we can do that perfect well again thank you for everything thank you for the community you've built I I can't stress how much my friendships with uh, with Liz and Allison have have meant to me it's been so great learning more about yourself and that culture that you built into uh, Gerber and I, so just thank you again for this conversation I, I hope we can we can do this again sometime soon I, I, I enjoyed it Trey and I love what you're doing and appreciate you putting people out there and these thoughts out there and I would love to do it again in the future one more time, I would like to extend a huge thank you to Randy for joining me on the podcast. It was such a pleasure getting to have this conversation with someone who supports entrepreneurs in such a major way, and I cannot thank him enough. If Randy's message in our conversation resonated with you, please be sure to check out the show notes at the Mosaic Life Podcast.com where you can find all of the links to learn more about Randy and his company, Gerber. And of course, thank all of you for taking time out of your busy days to listen to the podcast. It means the world to me. And again, I cannot overstate this enough. This podcast would not be possible without you. So thank you. 
If you did find value in this conversation, I would be eternally grateful if you would take just a couple moments of your time to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That goes a long way in helping others just like yourselves discover these conversations we're having here. One more time, thank you all so incredibly much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.